Vineyard, all, all 10 of you, <laughs> would you go ahead and stand with us? We're going to get started with worship this morning. It's, uh, it's nice. Uh, it, it feels less pressure when there's less people in here. <laughs> anyway, well, let's, uh, let's go ahead and just open up our time in prayer and um, in whatever way you feel comfortable, whether that's extending your hands, uh, folding your hands, eyes open or closed, your choice. We're just going to invite the Holy Spirit to be present here with us as we worship. So Holy Spirit, would you come and fill this place and come and fill um, this room, this, uh, come and fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, come. We welcome you this morning. God, we recognize this morning that this, this time is, is not about uh, us, it's about you, Lord, that we are coming before you to worship you, to sing praises to your name. And so Holy Spirit, would you come and just be present here with us, Lord? Holy Spirit, come. Amen.
how wonderful it is to know that God's distinguishing characteristic is love, that the Bible says God is love. He's light also. God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. And we love John 3, 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him will not perish, but will have everlasting life. So our Father of love sent his only begotten son to die on our behalf, to die for our sins, but also to heal us of our diseases, to heal our broken hearts, to make us one in him, to give us his Holy Spirit, all these things that Jesus Christ has done for us. And when we take communion, we celebrate these things. We celebrate our unity in him, and we, we accept that because he's purchased it for us. And also we come with individual needs of deliverance, of forgiveness, of healing, healing broken relationships, healing our bodies, healing our spirits, healing our minds. All of this, I believe, is available for us, certainly in Jesus at any time, but especially as we take communion. I think in communion we draw near to him in a way we hardly ever draw near to him otherwise. What an opportunity we have to receive him anew by faith. We take Jesus in by faith as we take communion. And we just come to him with open hearts. So if you've come this morning needing cleansing, needing forgiveness, needing healing, needing any of those things I mentioned, would you just open your heart to Jesus? And I want to say, if there's anybody here you've never asked Jesus to come into your life, forgive you of your sins, and become your Lord, this is a wonderful opportunity to do that. As you do that, you're invited to take communion with us. So on the night the Lord was betrayed, he took bread and he broke it. And he said, that is if I can get the bread out here. And he said, this is my body, which is broken for you. All of you, take and eat it. Take just a moment before you eat. Spend a moment with Jesus. Lord, take our brokenness as you were broken for us and now heal us. So let us eat together. In the same manner, after supper, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood. All of you take and drink it. So take a moment with Jesus. Lord, cleanse us of everything as we drink together. Amen. Lord, we thank you so much for meeting with us in this way and in worship and in the word that's coming and in fellowship. Amen. Good morning, Mission Vineyard. Good morning. 
I'll just try that again. I'm a little sleepy today, so good morning, Mission Vineyard. Yeah, thank you. My name is Arlita Arelli, and I'm so glad that you're here today on this beautiful Sunshine High Life. Okay. No, you're good, bud. You're good. Thank you. Um, so uh, thank you for being with us today and worshiping with us. We're just so glad to see you. Um, and if you're worshiping with us online, thank you for joining us. Um, if you are new um, here or in line, we have welcome bags in the back. Um, and one of our most prized giveaways for people who are new to our church and people within our church is what we call a manna bag. Um, so if you um, would like to have one of those other bags that we give out to encourage people to give out to people as you drive around the city, we have just the bags outside of the white bag for you on the back table, um, just a way to bless our community. Um, a couple of quick announcements. Uh, we have a lot of small groups in our church and many of them are like once a month type groups. Um, tonight, one of them is starting, and it's, called, it's a family small group. It's going to be once a month for fellowship and potluck dinner. And it's going to be at the home of Kate and Jared Edwards. You can email info at missionvineyard.org uh, for more details, or go on our website, smallgroup.missionvineyard.org, um, to get more information there, contact the leaders directly. But it's just a time for fellowship, getting to know others. Anybody's welcome, but it's especially geared towards families with young kids. Um, it's from 5 to 7, so kids can still get home and get to bed at a decent hour. Our second monthly small group that's going to be happening is this Saturday, their women's brunch. And that's at 10 o'clock at Lucy Rosser's house. Um, it's also potluck style, bring your favorite brunchy item. Or if you can't bring anything, just come anyway. Lucy always um, hosts a great time together um, to connect with other women and to connect also with Jesus. And lastly, it's not a monthly group, but it's special for the season in our church. We're currently in a 21-day prayer thing, and we're going to have a fall and ending celebration right before Thanksgiving, and just thank the Lord for what he's done during the 21 days throughout the year, a time of worship, and just Thanksgiving. Um, so that will be at the Harmony Hills Community Park at 5 o'clock next Sunday night. Uh, so those are kind of our quick announcements. Anything else you want to see, you can fill out the little Connect card. We send out a weekly email with all the details of our church. And um, yeah, so we just hope to join. It's a great opportunity to get to meet other people within the community. So I'm going to pray for the rest of our service and for our giving. Um, if you would like to give in person here, we have a basket on the back table, or you can give at giving.missionvineyard.org. Um, and Lord, I just thank you, God, for all the different ways that people give to Mission Vineyard, for the work that you've given us here um, to do on Broadway and in San Antonio and the world, Lord. And so I pray that you would bless every cent that is given for your work in your kingdom and your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. virus going on, uh, especially for those of you who are online this morning, thank you so much for joining us online. Uh, we have a special video this morning. One of the things that we're focusing on as we engage in this 21 days of prayer is what it means for our church to be outward focused, to live out louder. And part of that has been God's invitation to us to set up a time and just in faith, in February, we're going to have a group that is for you to be able to invite your friends to ask questions. This is a place specifically for you to invite your friends to ask questions, and it may be for you too, if you have questions for beginning February 2nd. So if we can, let's play that video about special group coming up in February. 
Life is busy. Every day we ask questions like, what's happening today? What should I wear? How am I gonna fit everything in? But then there are bigger questions like, why am I here? What's my purpose? Where am I heading? Is there more to life than this? These are some of life's big questions, but there's rarely enough time to think them through. That's why Alpha exists. Alpha is a place to explore life's big questions in a safe and open environment. It's a series of sessions where anyone can share their thoughts and opinions and ask questions without feeling judged. When you come to an Alpha, you'll notice that first, there's food. Whether it's a full meal or a light snack, this is the time to get to know each other in a casual setting. Next, you'll watch an Alpha talk. The talks are created to engage and spark conversation. They explore big issues around faith from a Christian perspective. After the talk is a time for discussion. This is the most essential part of any Alpha. It allows everyone to share their own opinions on the ideas presented in the talks. It's a time for people with different thoughts, beliefs, and experiences to ask honest questions and have open conversation. Every week, there are guests coming for the first time to an Alpha in their community. Alpha is for everyone, regardless of background or beliefs. There's no pressure, no follow-up, and it's completely free to attend. Come and explore life's big questions. Find an Alpha near you today. Alpha, week by week, we'll begin with, is there more to life than this? Who is Jesus? What is the Bible? What about prayer? What about evil? What about the Holy Spirit? Week after week, just allowing space to be able to ask questions. Over this time of 21 days, my hope has been, you've also had some people in mind. I know I've got up on my mirror that sticker that we gave out a couple weeks ago. You may not have one of those, but I do. And, I, and on there is five different families that I've been praying for on a regular basis, just saying, Lord, I really want them to experience your love in a deep way, your transforming love. And so in that prayer, I'm, I'm not saying, okay, God, now I'm going to punch them with the Bible and punch them with the gospel. And just, No, I'm asking for like a softball opportunity for the Holy Spirit to just, God, would you open up their hearts? open up an opportunity for me to invite them into the safe space where dinner's free and where maybe I can ask some questions too or just be faced in a way that I need to grow. I've never really given myself space to ask these questions either. But Alpha is that space where we get to invite our friends to ask questions in a safe space. So I hope you would just have that in mind, continue to pray for maybe five families, maybe five friends that you have at work, in your neighborhood, maybe some family members, that need that right now. We are still in a series on what it means to regain that grateful heart, to have gratitude, and where God is leading us in that place. And in this season, I found a friend in our church, David Craig, not Daniel Craig from 007, David Craig, who, uh, who knew this is your life's work. Uh, so, David, would you come up and let's talk for just a little bit. I want, yeah, cheer for David. We had no idea. God was asking us to engage in this series, and then we got into a random conversation. I, I don't even know how, where, 
oh yeah, that's my PhD research that I've been working on for the last how many years. Do you just tell us a little bit, I mean, you're from Houston, did schooling at Ohio State, and now you're here in San Antonio. What are you doing? Yeah, uh, thanks John, thanks for having me up here. Uh, so, got my PhD in clinical psychology, um, and I moved here uh, for essentially like my residency at the San Antonio Veterans Hospital, San Antonio VA, um, now in my postdoctoral fellowship. Uh, so hoping to get licensed, and then I'll finally be able to say I'm a psychologist. So I'm an, I'm an almost psychologist, right? Almost now. psychologist. That's just be on your business card. Almost right. psychologist. <laughs> it, it aspires confidence. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. <laughs> That's what I tell some of my veterans too. I'm an almost psychologist. Almost psychologist. That's my easel. Yeah, so. <laughs> it's fantastic. But so this work is coming after years and years of study, specifically in the area of gratitude. Right. Specific, like, how did you come to this, and what are you studying? Yeah, yeah. So, um, really, kind of started as an undergrad at uh, University of Texas in Austin, uh, where my major concentration was psychology, but I also basically did a second major in philosophy and uh, religious studies. And so that kind of made me dive into a lot of the ancient philosophers, Aristotle, Plato, and so forth, but also a lot of the um, sort of the the church fathers and the, the great theologians of our church, right? Saint Augustine, Thomas Aquinas. Um, and what I found was that there's actually a lot of sort of convergence in a lot of their ideas with talking about cultivating virtues, right? Mm. And there's these certain virtues, sometimes they're called cardinal virtues, right? That are really sort of um, honored as something done for the benefit of society, right? And uh, they're part of a life well-lived, regardless of your circumstances, regardless of how they make you feel or whatever. You do these things like express gratitude because they have an in, in sort of intrinsic worth. And so that really kind of led me to this field of psychology called positive psychology, which uh, was actually heavily inspired by a lot of the ancient uh, theologians like Thomas Aquinas, for example. And they actually research um, these character strengths and these virtues like gratitude and forgiveness, kindness, things like that. And they look at essentially like the mental health effects and the effects on well-being of practicing these virtues. So I kind of came into grad school with this interesting gratitude from my background in philosophy and religion and theology. Um, and I did something called a meta-analysis, which is essentially you take all the data on a given topic, and it takes you a long time to do it, and you combine it into one mega master data set, and you look at uh, statistically what's the effect of this treatment or whatever on depression or anxiety or stress and sure. so forth. Um, and through that um, meta-analysis, I was actually hoping to find that um, these gratitude interventions, as they're called now, which are essentially different gratitude practices, like, like journaling, journaling I am grateful diary, for, I am grateful for. Right, listing out things you know you're grateful for. Um, you know, uh, you've seen it in TED Talks, you see it in uh, smartphone applications like Happify, where it's really kind of exploded, these gratitude interventions. Um, Choosing to be happy. I'm right. going to be happy today right, in, in right. some form, some practice. Right. The basic idea is these, with these gratitude interventions is that you practice gratitude and they promise you all these mental health benefits like happiness and joy and improved relationships and so forth. So anyway, I, I'm you know, a naive little first year uh, graduate student doing this meta-analysis hoping to find that gratitude interventions are you know, so great and do all these great things for you. Finished my meta-analysis and I found that essentially they have very weak effects on improving depression and anxiety and stress and all that, right? And, uh, and there's some good evidence that they're actually kind of a placebo, um, that they're better than doing nothing, but they're hardly any better than things like writing about your shoe or your route to work or things like that. Wait, writing about your shoe? Literally just like 
describing your shoe on a, on a piece of paper, you know, and gratitude. Same effect of just saying, I am thankful for, you might as well just write about your shoe. Yeah. Okay. Um, and so I kind of wrote that up and got some media attention and stuff. Cause you know, again, these gratitude interventions have kind of been a subject of Ted talks and things. And yeah, I even saw an argument in the Jakarta news about your, right. Yeah, Indonesia was arguing about your research. Right, right. Yeah. I, I really kind of took me by surprise, but I guess it struck a chord because these have become such a prominent form of sort of self-help. So on the one hand, uh, it was kind of disappointing at first, right? And I was going, well, gosh, does gratitude not do anything at all for us? You know, does, uh, you know, it's all these philosophers in scripture wrong. But what I found was that when I was reading these studies, I found the way they conceptualized gratitude was very different from how it's been talked about amongst mm. these great theologians and philosophers, where in these great philosophers and theologians' writings, gratitude is never discussed as a means to an end, as a means to be happy and joyful and so on and so forth, right? It's always talked about as a response to the goodness of someone else. Like we practice gratitude uh, because it's a response to God's goodness or a response to the goodness of another person. Yeah. And so I started seeing this disconnect in the way that, you know, I'd been brought up in the faith and how it's sort of gratitude's been turned into something that we do for our own benefit. And I started wondering, huh, I wonder if I do a study and I ask people to do one of these gratitude interventions, like writing a gratitude letter, and I ask them to do it for these kind of self-helpy happiness reasons, right? Kind of just chasing your own happiness. Yeah, do it because you want to get happier. Right, do it. If you, if okay. you express gratitude, you're going to be happier and healthier and sure. improve your relationships, all this stuff, right? So that's one condition. And then the other condition, I asked people uh, instead to practice gratitude in a way that was framed more like the church fathers and these ancient philosophers, right? Where I talked about gratitude being this cardinal virtue and, you know, you do it to be a blessing to other people, not expecting anything in return. Against the vice of jealousy, typically. It's, right. I, I am I'm, I'm looking to see what God has done to really be thankful for what God has given me against being jealous against what other people have. Right, right. So it's a, again, it's a way of sort of shifting your attention away from yourself, right? So, we're, yeah. so in this condition, I was asking people not to think about themselves, but to really just focus on the other person. And essentially what I found was that kind of paradoxically, that um, particularly for people that uh, are really desperate to be happy, because yeah. uh, I included a scale that kind of measured how much they're chasing happiness in life, but particularly amongst those people that are really desperate to be happy, that when they were in the condition where they focused on sort of being a blessing to the other person, that paradoxically they actually showed greater well-being than the group that did it for their own happiness, right? So it's sort of like when they were forgetting about their own happiness, they yeah. were inherently more happy and had greater well-being. Which you see, this is what God is doing. He says, sometimes we put things out of order, right? Humility is that place where we think of ourselves rightly, humbly. Well, gratitude is that place where we think about this Thanksgiving rightly as well, those things that we have and, and gratitude. This is, where, this is where everything comes in the right order. Instead of going for it for my own good, God says, no, I've made this for the sake of relationship, in the right order, it's a blessing. Right, absolutely. Um, and in fact, if you want, I can tell you about some extension of that with my dissertation that kind of taps into that very idea. Um, so, you know, after I did this study on the gratitude, um, I started thinking about this idea of when we shift our attention away from ourselves and really focus on other people, that again, we kind of paradoxically 
also uh, experience greater joy in life. And that's not why we do it, but it's just kind of a, a natural byproduct. So with my dissertation, I did something similar with acts of kindness. Mm. And I asked people to do acts of kindness. And again, I didn't say anything about how it's gonna benefit you or make you happy and all the stuff you kind of see in the pop psychology circles, right? Um, but it was really focused on how you do this to serve others, to be a blessing to them. And I compared it to some well-established techniques from cognitive behavioral therapy. And what I found was surprisingly that doing these acts of kindness, again, led to greater reductions in depression and anxiety and greater improvements in a sense of meaning in life, life satisfaction, all these things, than these CBT techniques. And what actually drove those improvements was, in fact, a reduction in essentially self-absorption or self-focused attention. I had a scale that kind of measured how preoccupied are you. So all of a sudden, the human being, because they're doing acts of kindness, their self, their soul is coming in right order. Everything about their attention it becomes less about themselves, less fear about where they are, less, less sense of stuckness in their own stuff, more focus on the movement of what can happen when I'm attentive to what's going right. on outside. To other people, yeah, because I think we all do this when we're distressed, when we're feeling anxious and depressed, right? We've, we've all been there to varying degrees, right? It tends to turn our attention inward, yeah. right? Yeah. Suffering kind of makes us ruminate and chew on the injustice of what's going on and... and sense of victimhood and... Right, and, and just kind of wallowing in that, that sense of despair, right? And, and again, it's understandable, right? I'm not... I'm yeah. not here to kind of condemn that or anything. We all do this. And yet, when we <clears throat> sort of shift our attention onto the needs of other people, again, we kind of forget ourselves. And we forget that kind of party of one of our own suffering. And that's what my research essentially showed, was we, we just transform ourselves by serving other people. So you're a follower of Jesus, David. You've been a follower of Jesus throughout this whole process of your grad school work. So there's there's has been for you a connection in your faith. I mean, from the beginning, you said in your bachelor's research and, and the philosophers and the theologians, you're talking to your church now. You've done this study. I know there's some work still left to be done and, and whatnot. Always, yeah. What would you, I mean, would you just give one encouragement? What would it be for, you know, your, this is your church. You're part of this family. You're, you know, a thumb in the body, whatever you want to call sure, it. Sure, sure. Um, what would you say to us after yeah, all of this? I mean, I think the, the main idea I've been coming away with again is that, um, I'm always struck by the teachings of Jesus and how, in my work in science and psychology, that it really does support Jesus's sort of roadmap for a life well lived. Um, and so when we, you know, when Jesus says that, um, that, you know, the greatest commandment is to love your neighbor as yourself, right? Um, there, there's really is power and evidence behind that. And so I would just maybe encourage the church to focus on serving others, not because it's gonna help you, because um, you may or may not feel happier or more joyful or any of these things, but do it just because it's, it's a way of sort of honoring God and worshiping God. Um, and, and so maybe I would just say to kind of guard against some of the, um, I don't know, the self-helpiness or the feel-goodism that, that is yeah. creeping into our society and into our church as well, where everything's kind of measured by how much it can promote our own happiness. When in fact, sometimes serving other people can be really hard and costly and not feel good. Yeah. Um, but, but that's not why we're doing it. We're doing it because it's inherently valuable and meaningful um, and may even sometimes not go well, you know? Yeah, but it's still a surrender that we're called to right. for the good life, the, the life that Jesus wants. Would y'all, I, I want to pray for David this morning and for Shannon, his wife, Shannon. I don't know where she went. There, there you are, Shannon. Um, because they're both, you know, we want to bless people at work. 
David's at work in this work. Shannon's at work in her school. Uh, are, these are places of ministry because the people of God are there. So they become places where the Lord dwells and does, does his work, his kingdom work. So would you just pray with me? Lord Jesus, I thank you so much for the work you're doing in David and through David for this research. God, we ask that you would be glorified in it. God, as a husband and wife, as they go out into the world and serve the communities, we pray for the elementary school that Shannon's involved in, God, as she is just giving herself away and even financially for these students. God, we ask your blessing on their lives. You send your holy angels to minister to them, guard and protect them from all sickness and harm and accidents. God, give them a way forward in your kingdom work. Reveal to them your steps forward. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much. Yeah, go ahead and clap. There is a command in this from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 16 to 18 that we've been reading over and over and over again. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. Always be joyful. Never stop praying. Be thankful in all circumstances. This is God's will for you who belong to Christ Jesus. God, as I, just, as I continue and preach this morning, I just surrender again every desire, every, everything about me, Lord, that your word would go forth today. Holy Spirit, come again in these words, in this scripture. God, continue to, to lean into us about what it means to be grateful, to reclaim this grateful heart that you desire for us, to follow your word. So after hearing David, after engaging the scripture, and we continue to engage it, why on earth do you think Paul would have given his disciples? Why would he write a letter and say, hey, be thankful, not don't be a sinner? He didn't, I mean, he says that in different books as well, but he says, always be thankful, always. I wonder if there was some agenda. I was curious, Lord, are you, are you telling them to be grateful so that they look better in society? Are you trying to promote Christianity in Thessaloniki? Is that what you're doing? Are you, trying to, are you trying to make the church a culture of happiness psychology? Were you in before it was in 10 years ago? Is to be a good witness? Is that why we should be grateful? Is it for you? Do you need it? Is it to create a sense of character in them that they're just not focused on themselves? To artificially make the church better? Do we need it? Last week we heard from Abby about her testimony in serving in Indonesia, and, and Herschel just reminded us again that the cost of following Jesus, the yes that we're called to, is enough on its own. It's that sense of obedience, the sense of surrender. But like David said, it doesn't mean that we're not without distress. Thessaloniki was a place where the church was doing really well. It was a place of wonderful commerce. It was the center of activity for Macedonia at the time, a region of great, um, just a collection of both the best of the Roman and the Greek empires of the day. They were doing great. Financially, the church is probably doing wonderful. Their lifestyles are probably wonderful. But it doesn't mean that there wasn't distress. 
Psalm 107 has been another place that we've been engaging over this gratitude series, and, and I want to uh, engage there as well. Psalm 107, verse 19. This is a time, Psalm 107 is written not in a time of necessarily distress for the Israelites. Things are pretty good. David's on the throne. Everybody's doing great. And yet the psalmist is encouraging the people. Can you imagine being in a worship service back then and hearing this as part of worship? Then they cried out to the Lord in their trouble. He saved them from their distress. He sent his word and healed them. He rescued them from the pit. Let us give thanks to the Lord for his faithful love and his wondrous works for all humanity. Let them offer sacrifices of thanksgiving and announce his works with shouts of joy. Shouts of joy. I remember a sermon Herschel preached not too long ago. Oh, maybe it was a while ago, where he like just stopped and he said, Would you shout with me in worship? Would you shout? That's what it's about. Should we shout? That's a command. And there's something different that happens there. There's something different in the shouting. But if you're in a society, I think much like ours, where maybe there are signs of, of discouragement in the economy or politics or whatever, but in general, people are doing okay. In general, we're doing all right. And so when we think, give shouts of joy, like for what? We're okay. I imagine the people of Israel, the people of Thessalonica, like, well, I'll be grateful, but I'll be grateful because like I'm doing a good job. I got a good job, providing for my family, doing okay. 401k is doing okay, stock market's up. Like be thankful, be grateful, shouts of joy to myself. That's weird. It may surprise you that in the midst of all this, that there could be a real distress that we're allowed to feel. We do feel distress in these times where the economy may be up or, or whatever. And yet we're still called to announce his shouts of joy. Following Jesus does include distress, and it's, it's unique in most of faith, actually. In uh, Judaism, Hinduism, Buddhism, any sign of distress means you don't have much connection with God. God's probably against you. You're probably, you, you need to do some more worship. That'll, that'll take, he'll, he'll take care of your distress. No, in, in following Jesus, distress is part of the faith. If we're engaged in his kingdom, even when things are good, and yet in the midst of the distress, there's also the command for the shouts of joy. His faithful love. So how do we move from there? How do we move from that distress to joy? I love David's work and, and listening more about it, that, that contingent of what it means to focus on oneself rather than focus on God or other people and what a complete difference that makes in our mental, emotional, and spiritual health. That's fantastic that there's like actual science that says if you self-gratify yourself, which is just most of what happiness psychology is, just self-gratification, I will be grateful, 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 me, be happy. And there's, there's lots of great practices in there, but if they're self-focused, we become more inclusive, imploded, and our distress really doesn't go away. 
So in that psalm, I love paying attention to that psalm because there's, there's some keys there. And it comes to the word he. Now, before some of you uh, that are feminists here, I'm not saying he for the, sex of, the sense of gender or roles or that kind of I'm saying he for God. God is in the midst of the gratitude. God is in the midst of the distress. He changes the dynamic between distress and joy. Even in their engagement towards joy, even in their obedience to shout, even in the obedience to be thankful in all things, the catalyst, the difference between distress and joy is he healed them. He rescued them. The most important dynamic between distress and joy is the personal presence of God. In so much of our lives, again, in in a world, a Western world of a lot of success where we can do everything on our own, we can be all right on our own, he says, you can't. And I've made you so you can't. If you try to do it on your own, if you self-gratify yourself, it does not work. Your distress will not go away. We all have that need. Especially those, and, and today I, I want to name a couple of things that, where there are some folks here and maybe some folks that you know that are dealing with anxiety and depression. This is real. And there are wonderful practices. David talked about a, co- a couple of them in cognitive behavioral therapy. And there's, there's many good practices that are helpful. And, and God's offering a way. He says, he heals He rescues. He delivers. So finally, and and here's, I think, the real good news. It's a good news that's very difficult, and it often is with Jesus, right? Jesus leads us to life, but it's often to a narrow road. Jesus leads us to be saved, but it often means surrendering everything. And in Matthew 16, he says this again, and he said it before in Matthew, and, and I think the gospel writers, as they write it in many of the gospels, I think they're trying to bring attention to something. One is their own personal sacrifice, but two, that the cost of real thriving life really costs a lot. It costs a lot of our humility. It costs a lot of our focus. It costs a lot of putting those things that we go after in the rightful place. And so Jesus, he takes us, he takes us to, to task. And he says to his disciples, if any of you wants to follow me, you must give up your own way. No more self-gratification. If you want to follow me, it can't be about you taking care of yourself anymore as the primary ideal. That is good, but it must be put in its rightful place. You must give up your own way. You must take up your cross. You must die. 
When was the last time you really considered part of your faith dying to what you love? Some of you have been forced into it, but within a pretty successful Western culture, we don't often think, I need to die to everything. I need to give it all up. You must take up your cross and follow me. And I don't know if he was just saying this to followers of Jesus, but I know, I know he is saying it to them. He could be saying it to everybody. If you try to hang on to your life, if you try to make it about you, if you try to make it about you being happy, you will lose it. You will lose it. Because we'll never get there. I love a good cup of coffee. Can I tell you how much I love coffee? Coffee, good. Wake up in the morning, perfect amount of half and half. Coffee, good. Ever have too much coffee? Mmm, that's horrible. That'll ruin your day. Too much coffee, bad. I love some sleep. Anybody else love some sleep? I want to thank y'all who did the overnight prayer hours in our 24 hours of prayer. Woo-wee! I love me some sleep. You ever sleep too much? People, People are like, oh, no, that ain't possible. Oh, yes, it is. You ever wake up and there is no momentum to anything left in your life? You don't know how to engage all the people around you have been wondering where you're at. They need you, and you haven't been there. All that stuff ends. All the stuff that's so good. It is good, but it needs to be put in its rightful place. In surrender to the cross of Jesus Christ. It's the only way this grateful heart gets placed back. Gratitude is the fruit of that. All of that stuff being put in its rightful place. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. For those of you who are struggling with anxiety and depression, oftentimes it's because you feel that stuckness in comparison to where everybody else is. That jealousy that goes against that that gratitude. Instead of being thankful to God for what he's done for you, for the simple things, for the amazing things, we often live our lives in comparison, which steals joy. Comparison steals joy for two reasons. Comparison steals joy because all we are doing is focusing on ourselves absolutely alone. I mean, who of you are brandishing how you're comparing yourself against people? No, it's all private. It's all inward. The other part of it is that it's completely disconnected from God. The only way that joy really gets formed in us is if we're face to face with someone who can give it to us. Joy is a gift. And so God's given us this practice of gratitude that's face to face. We can't do it alone. We have to go to him. It's something that we absolutely need. This grateful heart can only be made when we go face to face with our God in the midst of distress, in the midst of success. And we say, thank you. And in that act, the thing is not the thing. It's not about saying thank you. It's about him being there when we say it. And his face to us 
when we're grateful to him, changes us. It changes our mind. It changes our heart. He rescues us. He rescues us. All the self-gratification ends. Jesus loves you so much to do this. He will not let you suffer alone. He knows that all of those ends, too much coffee, too much sleep, too much, some of you are dealing with addictions. Some of you are, have been just so caught up by the world that there's a stuckness. And God, he won't let us go. He says, no, come to me. I'll save you. I'll rescue you. His faithful love, his wondrous works, saving them from their distress. If you give up your life, this is Jesus to you. There's some things that need to be given up. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. Do you want it? Do you want the life that God has for you? Do you want the life that includes the cross where everything gets put in its rightful place? Anybody feeling disorganized right now? Anybody feeling a bit overwhelmed the holiday season's coming? Anybody feeling like things aren't the way that they're supposed to be? God says, I won't let you sit in your distress. I will welcome and save you in the midst of your distress. He loves us so much. He wants us to connect with his personal presence. He wants us to have an everlasting provision thinking rightly about what we have. Think about what that could mean for our hearts. Think about going into Thanksgiving and the holiday season with everything in the right order. Can you imagine? Think for just a moment if he would save you from your distress. Think for just a moment if the things that you did, if your coffee actually in its rightful place gave you more life than before. I want my coffee to give me more life than it does. What if your sleep became more restful because it was put in its rightful place? Say, Lord, I surrender my rest to you. And he guides you through it. If you give up your life for me, I'll give it back to you. But I'll give it back to you in the right order. And this heart of gratitude. Each one of us has a place where this is relevant. It may not be coffee. It may not be sleep. This is my own simple analogies for the sake of making a point. Each one of us has a context for this, where there's distress, where there's places where we've overused things, where we haven't gone face-to-face with Jesus to get our gratification. He says, be grateful to me because it's personal. I will restore your joy when you seek my face, when times are good and when times are bad. This doesn't work when pride gets in the way. And so that's a huge cost. I mean, is anybody else getting nervous about this? What do you mean, God, I have to surrender my coffee? (laughs) God, I love whatever it is. He says, it's good. It's good, but it's good in its rightful place. It means surrendering that pride that says, oh, I know how to get this done. Oh, I know the right way. And you go, okay, God says, do you want that in the rightful place? I'm going to give it to you, but in the rightful place. Surrender it to me. Put it on my cross. 
It's a cost of humility. Over and over again, God has led me to this place. Because control, oh gosh, I'm such a control freak. I want it all in a certain way. God says, I know. I know you want it in your way. And Gosh, because I'm such a control freak, it's just never the way, it's exactly the way it's supposed to be in my mind. I suffer so much. God says, I know. I won't let you go there. I want you to come back to me. I want your heart to be set right. I want to save you from your distress. I want to rescue you. I want to give you joy. I won't let you settle for happiness that comes from self-gratification. I won't let you settle for it. As followers of Jesus, do not be surprised when you are never satisfied. Because he wants us to keep coming back to him and be satisfied in him. He won't let us get away in self-gratification. He, will, he won't let us get away with just happiness that fades away. He wants to give us real joy. Jesus rescues us when we get the gift of gratitude and joy. It's the gift of a thankful heart that belongs to those who have given their lives away completely. He's come as a personal presence, face to face, to deliver us. Giving ourselves to him completely is the key to gratitude. Would you stand with me, please? Holy Spirit, to say, come, it's just saying we open the doors of our hearts again, but we acknowledge completely you are here and you have been here. Ethan and Eva, if you would, just continue to come up. I think that there's some ministry to happen. I want to mention a couple of words that uh, the prayer team had this morning for you, and one of them is weird. I just want to tell you, and sometimes we get weird, and, and we just... We clinic the weird. We risk in the weird. And, and so if you feel weird about any of these words, it's okay. It is weird. It is weird. And we just clinic through it. We, we'd rather the risk of trying to hear God's voice face to face than not. So someone may be dealing with dizziness. Uh, someone that needs to know that you are a gift from God. Someone that needs to know that Jesus wants to apply joy to your chronic fatigue. This is interesting. They didn't know the sermon, but in the midst of distress, God wants to bring joy. Someone dealing with chronic fatigue. Someone that needs to receive clear direction from Jesus. Someone that needs healing of broken bones. And here's the one that I thought was weird. Maybe you don't think it's weird, but something to do with green beans or thanksgiving. Would you take advantage of these risks that this team made this morning? There's a prayer team here to receive you for any emotional, physical, or spiritual need. A team to receive you for any distress that you're in. A team to receive you if you don't have the kind of faith that can engage this life of gratitude. And God wants to give it to you. And so for some of you, I just want to pray with you quickly. Lord Jesus, I'm sorry for going it alone. I'm sorry for all the things that I've done in my life. Thank you for dying on the cross for me so I could be forgiven and set free. Thank you for the gift of forgiveness. I now receive it. Please come into my life by the 
power of your Holy Spirit to be with me forever. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and lead me for the rest of my life. I ask in Jesus' name, my life is yours, surrendered completely to you. Ethan and Eva are going to lead us in worship. One more song as you just have time. I wish I had the cross out again. I wish I had paper for you to write down, I surrender. But can we just, can we just stay in that place? Lord, my life, I give up my life to you. Let's worship again. Please come and receive prayer, and I'll come back and bless us before we go.
What a beautiful thing for a church to be seated in God in such a way. Our hearts of gratitude, grateful hearts are built upon the security that he gives us, of his rescue, of humility, of him carrying us. What a beautiful church where everything is put in its rightful place and we come face to face with him daily, nightly, Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. So I bless you now. Would you receive this blessing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit to go out face to face with Jesus, that grateful hearts would be built, not out of your own work of gratitude, but out of the gift that comes from him, the blessing of his face. Let joy be built in your heart right now in Jesus' name. Joy. Joy be built up in you. The heart of gratitude filled with joy. That the command to be thankful flows out of you, out of your intimacy with our Lord Jesus Christ. I bless you by the power of the Holy Spirit to take up your cross, to give up your life daily. To surrender to him that you may be found in him and him alone. I bless you in Jesus' name. There's a lunch after church today for those of you who want to discover more about the church. Most of you are already signed up, but we did buy a couple more sandwiches for those who were on the fence or whatever. We, we are welcome. See our lead in the back if you want to, to be included in that. Have a great week. Bless you in Jesus' name.